Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. The goal of our pods are to give our followers a taste of how great the game of hockey is here in Minnesota. Speaking of great, check out the Minnesotan Cool and Authentic Apparel Concept, which is a one-of-a-kind, 100% unique to the marketplace. You can visit their flagship store seven days a week in historic downtown White Bear Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we sit down with former Minnesota Wild skater and longtime NHLer Matt Cook to learn about his career in the game and what he's doing now today while living in Edina. Should be a great show. Hope you enjoy it. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Cook. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a couple weeks, and, and usually people think hockey nerd wants to uh, talk to hockey, uh, former hockey great, but uh, the real reason is is uh, my son and your daughter, Reese, were friends, and I didn't know for like six weeks, eight weeks, that that, that was your daughter, and uh, she made a big impact on me. She's funny, outgoing, not afraid to spar with some suburban hockey dad like myself. And uh, then I fi- figured out that you she had some Canadian blood. And she had, we have our bouts about you know macaroni and cheese from Canada is better than American macaroni and cheese, peanut butter, the whole deal. So did she tell you why it's better? No, not really. Something about the cheese or something. I don't know what it was. Why is it better? Because American mac and cheese has food color dye. Yes. Yellow three or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a banned substance. In, in Canada? Can- in Canadian food. So we use true cheddar, dried cheddar cheese in our, we call it craft dinner. Yeah. Not mac and cheese. But yeah, 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 yeah. That is why. My, my mom called it craft dinner too. Okay. So yeah, she's a, she's a great gal. I love Reese, love running to her. And then she got involved with my youngest, Hadley, at, at church and in small groups there. And just the, the relationships keeps on giving. So she's a, a, a great young lady and wish her the best. She finished her first year at Marquette, right? So she went to Marquette uh, midway through the year. She decided it wasn't for her. Oh, really? It was a little small, so she transferred back here to the U. Okay. Um, And she's still in the med program sciences, but, uh, yeah, she's back at the U. Oh, she's the best. Uh, I I should get her on a podcast. She could (laughs) light it up, let me tell you. I'm sure she'll listen to this part, and then after this part, she'll turn it off. But uh, All right, so let's roll here. Let's meet who Matt Cook was as a a youngster. How did you grow up in – Sterling, is it called? Yeah, Sterling. Sterling, Ontario, just outside of Belleville, which is kind of halfway between Montreal and Toronto. Fair enough? Yeah, I mean... But you're more uh, Ontarioan than more, anything. More closer to Toronto. I mean, it's two yeah. hours east of Toronto. It's three hours west of Montreal. Okay. Um, what's it like growing up? It's a pretty small town, a one-rink town, uh, but Belleville was pretty cool. Yeah, um, so Sterling was a one-rink town. Belleville was a, a bigger town. Belleville was 50,000 people, so... Um, I think they had three. But they had an OHL team three when you were growing up. So yeah. this was kind of what you grew up playing here, but your heroes were probably on the Belleville team. Yeah, I went and watched. I mean, they played on their home games were Wednesday nights and Saturday nights. So you'd, you know, on a Wednesday night, it would be a treat to go watch the Belleville Bulls play. And it, it was always a goal of mine as a kid, like initially to play, to 
play for the Belleville Bulls. What was minor hockey like? I mean, did your dad coach, or how did you get involved with just getting on? I mean, you don't have to ask someone in Ontario how, if you wanted to play hockey or not. It, it, you know what I mean? It's like a kid in Texas playing football, right? It's just, it's just part of osmosis, right? Yeah, I mean, especially in Sterling. I mean, 1,800 people, we had a rink, so, I mean, there was a lot of availability for ice. Uh, my grandfather actually was part of a group that raised funds to build a new rink, which was there when I was young. Um, and so at the age of two, my mom had me on skates pushing a, a wooden hall chair on the ice every day. There's free skate from right noon till three or four till school is over. So uh, that's what I did in my afternoons. You had an older sister, and your younger brother's much younger, so he must have just, you must have pounded on him pretty good, right? <laughs> I'm sure he'd say that. He's a <laughs> he's a police officer back home. And, okay. Uh, you know, he, he'd say he'd probably get the best of me now, but uh, he's got a few tools in his belt that would help him succeed. Um, right, right. But... And then he, you have an older sister, too? Yeah. Where does she, she live? She, she's back there as well. Okay. She's a teacher back there. All right. And your mom was a teacher, part-time teacher? Yeah, she did early childhood stuff. Okay. Um, more and, um, yeah. So just a, your average, normal Canadian kid in a small town and made it big in the big time eventually, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So a junior hockey story is kind of an interesting one. You have a really interesting story. I mean, as far as your draft, it's not your standard got drafted story. Um, let's walk through that. So you had a great year. Uh, you moved off to Windsor. Uh, we're, we're headed to college potentially, right? Yeah. I mean, I was a 10th round draft pick to Windsor, so I wasn't like one of their top picks in the junior draft. Was um, it because you were, had been a, a kind of a college commit to St. Lawrence or was it because you weren't any good or what was it? <laughs> Maybe I wasn't any good. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I growing up, a lot of people said I was too small. Right. Um, you know, I wasn't big enough. A lot of people said I wasn't skilled enough. Um, even though that's what I did up until I made the NHL was pretty much put up points. So, right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe it was, that I missed a breakaway game when I was playing tier two junior B. Yeah. Um, you know, playing against a bunch as a 16 year old playing against 20, 21 year olds. But, um, it is what it is. I, I was drafted in the 10th round to Windsor. And, um, fortunately for me, I was able to use that as motivation. So your parents wanted you to go to college. Yeah. I mean, I what was, what was the, what was the, the ending line when you finally crossed the line to the OHL? Well, I, I'd gone to camp and there was a lot of restrictions at the time. They were, people had gone, you know, had issues with NCAA and breaking the rules and accepting money from travel money and stuff from the junior team. And so we didn't do any of that. And then after day two with the team basically all over me to sign, uh, my parents were like, let's just get in the car and go home because it was a 48-hour rule that you were allowed to stay right. um, back then. And I think it's changed now. I think it's loosened a little bit. You can spend more time provided you don't receive Sign. money. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, I wanted to play Major Junior. I, I grew up watching the Belleville Bulls play, and I wanted to play in the Ontario Hockey League. And for me, it was the fastest way for me to get to the NHL because as a 17 year old I was going to play major junior for two or three years and then not have to wait two years to go to school correct correct yeah it was a faster track that's yes. for sure the next year life gets interesting if, if the way you tell this story is fascinating if you ask me uh you have an unbelievable season you said it was eighth I believe it somewhere in the top 10 in the entire CHL 95 points and a little asterisk here 146 penalty minutes I'm thinking 
the NHL scouts got to be going. That's Wendell Clark. We have the next Wendell Clark. Uh, <laughs> why? Why did you get drafted in the sixth round? It, it it baffles me how this could actually happen. Yeah, I mean, so after my first year of junior, which I, you know, you were a youngster, sixteen, seventeen, and you had like twenty points. Yeah, I, I was a fourth line guy. I was an energy guy. I got that penalty. That killed. was your draft year. So I was eligible for the draft, yep. but you have two years yeah. of eligibility yep. in the NHL. So um, I took some bad advice from an agent to opt in because uh, I could, because I was a September birth, I could opt out and wait till after my next year. And hindsight, right. probably should have, maybe but I should have, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be here today if that was the case. Correct. So, um, but I went to Toronto as a free agent, um, had had some success at camp, played in a few exhibition games, and, and you're I, playing against. High-end talent here. I mean, Dougie yeah. Gilmore, I mean, this mid-90s, right? This is Yeah, it was a heyday. Good- you know, Shane Corson, Darcy Tucker, I mean, they're all, you know, there playing for the Leafs. And um, you know, I, I equivocally remember a, a, a confrontation with Ty Domi, you know, after I bumped into Gilmore, I think. And, you know, he basically told me to stay away. <laughs> and so I, I'm not a guy I was going to fight probably as a – 18 year old but at so, this point you knew Ty Domi was right yeah no I mean yeah, did you kind of know what you were getting into as well when you bumped into Doug Gilmore uh maybe a little bit oblivious to you know how the protection was going to be in, yeah in, yeah especially in a, in camp, a scrimmage right camp, yeah yeah you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'd run into that the my first camp in Windsor you know I ran over a few guys and scored a few goals and after I didn't sign to join the team the next day they they sent out a one of their not not their their best fighter, but one of their tough guys that come out and drop the gloves with me and not allow me to give me the choice not to fight. And so I fought, which led to me fighting more in junior. But um, you know, it's it, it's just it is what it is. But I signed a contract with Toronto after that camp, which would have I wouldn't have been in the draft the next year. But because I had eligibility, it had to be sent to the league in time. So at this point, you were going to sign with Toronto. And go to maybe the AHL, right? No, I still, I still I still had two years of eligibility left in OHL, so I would have had to go still back. Still went back to junior. Even though okay. I was signed, I wouldn't burn a year until I played pro hockey, but okay. I had two years of junior left. Right. That you can't you can't vacate. They you would have you would have been their property. Yes. They would have they, they would have which would have taken you out of the draft. Yes. Which draft would have been a great year. draft pick for them. I mean, come on, kind of a freebie in some ways. Yeah, exactly. It's like finding, you know, a, a Someone off, and then and then if it if it pans out, great. If if that player doesn't pan out, big deal. Didn't, didn't cost them anything, right? Right, right. Um, and so month goes by. I'm back in Windsor playing junior hockey, and I call my agent. I'm like, hey, where where's my money? Like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. I'll call and check. I'm like, you haven't followed up. He's like, no. <laughs> Is this the same agent who told you to go into the draft too? Yes. Wow. I'm guessing he wasn't your agent for long. No. Nope. Uh, we uh, we changed after this this ordeal yeah so, oh yeah but, well you pretty much have to like there's no way you could stay with him after that right? yeah i just felt like he was incompetent you know what i mean yeah 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 uh but toronto the, the my contract assigned seven copies or whatever it is all got left on uh cliff fletcher's cliff fletcher's desk and so the secretary gave it to him to sign so she could send back and he never didn't know apparently didn't yeah. sign them and so because it it didn't meet the deadline of the NHL. The NHL would not accept my contract, which then pushed me back into the draft the following year. Now, this is you find this out in December. Now, if everybody knows, listen, to this show Central Scouting starts scouting in September, October, November, and you're you're you got a black mark next to your name. You're not even 
Well, you're so not even you're on the board, right? You go, you go to your you go to your program that has a list of both teams, and beside it, if your own if you're drafted or signed with a team, you have a tag like Toronto's is T O R. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Minnesota's would be M I N, yeah, M I N or N N W, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, till till the end of December, early January, I had T O R on the backside of my name because. Toronto didn't tell anybody that they didn't sign me. The NHL didn't tell anybody they didn't sign me. And so all the programs just got put as that I was signed by Toronto. I can only imagine uh, Vancouver drafts you in the sixth round. Whoever that scout was and whoever that GM was at the time looks like the biggest genius in the world at the time. I mean, literally, well, it, it sixth was- round guy. You're not expecting – they might not even make your team, much less play all the games that you play. That's a pretty good investment out of a six-round guy. Yeah, so Pat Quinn was the, the GM at the time. And, uh, you know, at the, my third year, so after World Juniors, I got traded to Kingston, Ontario. Yep. Finished in Kingston, and the scout there for the Vancouver Canucks was high on me. And so um, he – they – I don't know if they took a flyer or whatever, but they – Decided with their six-round pick, they were going to take me. And I just can't believe. Here's there's the part I can't believe. You're the eighth leading scorer in the OHL, and you're draft eligible, and you slid that far. Yeah. Again, I mean, I wasn't. I'm. I try to say I'm five eleven. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't the biggest guy, and uh, I don't know if people thought like back then. It like if you weren't six three, you weren't an. Defenseman that was six three, you didn't get drafted. I mean, that's it, true. But you know, back then the game was so big and rumble and tough. Like, you know, everybody wanted the, the Keith Tuchucks, the Todd Bertuzzi's, the guys that were you know big and strong and physical. And uh, I enjoyed the physical part of the game, but I didn't have the frame to. Yeah, they, maybe they didn't. Maybe they thought I wasn't going to make it. I don't know. I still thinking. I'm looking at your stats and going, Wendell Clark. <laughs> did you say something like that? Yeah, was a guy I mean, that you, did you pattern your game after him, or you just loved watching him play? I just loved kid? watching him play as a kid. Who I mean, didn't yeah, like I mean, watching him play? He, Toronto, obviously Saturday night, you know, hockey night in Canada. The games were on all the time, and the the Quebec Nordiques were my favorite team. Were they really? Yeah, because of the jersey, or because you got them on TV, or what was no, it? No, just I mean, as a 13 year old, I got a chance to go. We played in the Quebec Major Pee Wee tournament, so we got to tour the locker room and meet Sackick and some of the guys. And so from that time on, they were my favorite team. I mean, I just really, you know, Pierre Paget was the coach at the time, and he kind of gave us the tour of his room. And so I was thrilled and just in awe, enamored by them. So, plus I kind of boycotted Toronto a little bit because when I was a kid, I got a chance to go in the locker room and get autographs, and I'll never forget leaving with my program signed and getting home and not knowing one autograph and being devastated. Like, I, I don't even know who these are. There's yeah, just like, chicken scratch, yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> um, and that's back when, like, cigarettes were commonly smoked in the locker room after a game, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, it was a different time, that's for sure. So uh, let's go to the World Juniors. That's another interesting story. Uh, Canada had won five times in a row, and you're walking in for number six. Did you guys feel any pressure there to to win six? Was there pressure from the country, or is it more just more built in? I think it's internal pressure. I think that, you know, you you didn't want to be the team to lose. Yeah. Hockey Canada definitely built up – Six in a row. I mean, yeah. that, that that's what all of the slogans were, was six in a row. And, you know, 
it, it was a, a huge sore spot for me. I mean, we're in a different country, Helsinki, Finland, and yeah, we finish eighth, and I mean, it's a complete letdown. It's a complete cluster, and anybody that was on the team, if they said anything different, they'd be lying through their teeth. So uh, it just it fell apart. I mean, we lost to the Russia with six seconds left in the quarterfinals. Yeah, you know, six seconds left in overtime, and two things: Roberto Luongo was our goalie then, and yep. we felt like if we got into a shootout, we're gonna win. We're gonna win. I mean, we, yeah, Louis was gonna just put a piece of plywood, four by six sheet of plywood behind the net and just stop everything. So, um, you know, they 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 came down a two on one with six seconds left in overtime and scored, and that was the end of our dream. That was the end of right. being six in a row and. You just want to get on a plane and fly home. I mean, you you feel like you've let the country down, and here you got to play two extra games. We end up playing the U.S. and losing, and then uh, I can't believe what you're about to tell me. I know <laughs> we played against Kazakhstan, and <laughs> no, I mean literally, and I don't know how to describe this to you, and it probably doesn't make it right or okay, but no one wanted to be there, and so uh, with all the controversy surrounding our team, we just uh, we lost, and we end up eighth, and out of eight, yeah, who well, made the finals? Yeah, right, so right. that we didn't get relegated to the yeah non top bracket. So w- walk me through this. You're you're going into that Kazakhstan. You told me you walk in the Kazakhstan game, Kazakhstan. Sorry, um, and guys didn't want to play. There was a lot of uh, there <laughs> there were a lot of uh, uh, <laughs> controversy in the locker room. Guys were almost going to boycott. Kind yeah, of, right? I mean, we were at a time when. Cell phones, most guys didn't have a cell phone, um, especially in Europe, it didn't matter. But, right. uh, you know, you go to a hotel room when you're on the road with your junior team and you call the front desk and get a wake-up call. And at that time, they had an automated machine that you get it. Yeah. Well, when you're in Finland and, you know, it's nine, 1998, and when you call down, they must just write it on a sheet of paper and hopefully someone sees it or remembers because half the team didn't get wake-up calls all the time, and the coach kept trying to inform you guys. Yeah, but even teach us a lesson, and, you know, we're in a relegation game, and he's trying to sit guys out because they were late for the bus because they didn't get their wake-up call. Now, granted, it was probably the sixth or eighth time it happened, not just with this individual, but um, guys just had enough and just said, like, let us play, and really weird, awkward situation for – know guys from all over the country getting together to play together yeah yeah um okay so let's go after after juniors after the world juniors you get drafted by the canucks um your first team first pro team you make you're playing in uh vancouver and mark Messier is on the team mike keenan's the coach uh how do you how do you reconcile that i mean this is these are two of the biggest legends in the game and you're in the same locker room as those guys yeah, I mean, it, it pretty pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I actually was a stall, like my stall was right beside Mark Messier's. And is that by design? You think? <laughs> might might have been Keenan's design, maybe. I don't know. Um, just weird, like Alex McGillney. You know, I think he scored eighty two or eighty four in Buffalo. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. <clears throat> just the guys that were around Felix Podvan at the time. I mean, I was eyes wide open. Right, I, mean, I was. I was definitely starstruck, and you stand on the the blue line for a national anthem to start a game, and twenty thousand people, and I'm a kid from eighteen hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not used to crowds and whatever. So I mean, this was a pretty special deal, and it was short lived. I think I stayed 
up for like half and half maybe yeah but i stayed up for like the first two weeks or three weeks i got sent down uh keenan didn't want to send me down but brian burke was good old edina boy was like you're going down if you're not the best player on both teams this yes. weekend you you may never come back you know <laughs> all the all these strong words but i mean i give him credit it motivated me i went down there and worked my butt off and got a chance to come back up and it wasn't until my second year that I got to come up and stick. Uh, was Keenan still the coach? No, Mark, and they had made a go- coaching change. So midway through the year, we're in Dallas, going to play the next night, and uh, Keenan tells me that he's they got to send me down. They've made a trade with Florida, so they traded Pavel Bury and Brett Hedekin to Florida. They're getting Ed Jovanovski, Kevin Weeks, and uh, Dave Gagne. And so they're getting one more player because Beret wasn't on our roster. Right. They're getting one more player that has to go on the roster than they're giving up. And so I was the only guy on the team that could get sent down without having to clear waivers. So Keenan basically said, listen, it's nothing you've done wrong. Give me a week. I'm going to shuffle the deck and figure things out here, and we'll get you back here. And like five days later, he got fired. And Mark Crawford, who is a Belleville boy. No way. Yeah, so – Huge hockey family in Belleville. His dad, Floyd Crawford, was is an icon. And uh, who actually, uh, Floyd basically apologized for not drafting me from the Belleville Bulls when, in junior hockey because I went in the 10th round. Yeah. Um, but uh, Mark became the coach. I think he had to figure out what was going on with the team, so I got left in the minors for the rest of the season. Um, and then I came to camp the next year and made some noise, started the year in the minors because they didn't have room for me. They didn't plan that I was going to come back the player that I was and 17, 16 or 17 games later, they They had to bring up and I stayed the rest. I did never went back down. Yeah. So, um, walk through the, the Keenan, he, he he was kind of a mental guy. He, he really got after guys mentally. Did he ever get after you or get do some things to you that uh, might have caused you some anguish? Well, so the, the, the whole stipulation of me staying in the NHL my, my very first year pro hockey was I weighed in at camp at 198 pounds and uh, fit 198 pounds. But yeah. uh, his – he came to me, I don't know, mid mid – training camp and said you know i think i had 10 or 12 days left and he said i like what you're doing at camp uh if you get down to 192 pounds by day one of regular season i'll keep you so it wasn't how i practiced or how i played for the next 10 days 12 days it was six pounds if i could lose six pounds he would keep me and uh i ate it's like wrestling now isn't it i drank i drank boost and ate you know power bars literally for 10 days added an extra bike ride and I got down to I don't know 190 pounds and he kept his word I mean day one of regular season my stuff was still hanging when other guys were getting sent down to the minors so uh I give me I give him credit but it, it was all a m- manipulation to see if I was willing to buy in um You're almost like a flight attendant right where they had to meet certain requirements yeah well yeah I think it was, it, I mean, it, it, was deep, it was deeper than that yeah it yeah was, you know yeah I know I mean? it yeah was, it was so much deeper than that. And so uh, it didn't affect me at all. I mean, I I felt like at that time, you know, I was young and really you put a brick wall in front of me. I was going to try and go through it even if I couldn't. So um, it, I wasn't going to allow that to stop me. And he uh, later in the year, we had some, a couple of days off and I went into the rink and wrote down 195 pounds because that's what I was. And he pulled me up to his office and he's like, um, 
you know, you might be the most inconsiderate kid I know. And I was like, where's the camera? I'm getting punked. Yeah. And he's like, no, you know what? You're so inconsiderate, I might call your parents. Uh, and I'm like, okay, literally, like I'm all living on my own, making my own money. Like what purpose would it do you to call my parents? Like this, I'm someone's playing a joke with me right now. And then he's like, I have a 19-year-old daughter, and she doesn't always like what I ask her to do, but out of respect, she does it for me. And I stop him. I'm like, Mike, I apologize, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, what weight are you supposed to be at? I was like, 192 pounds. And what are you today? 195, but we had two days. And he just starts losing on me for like really? 10 minutes about how I'm three pounds over what I was supposed to be. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So if you saw... If you were at uh, Bunny's and Mike Keenan was at the end of the bar, would you go say hi to A hundred percent. I've, as crazy as some of the stories are, he, he gave me an opportunity and he believed in me enough to put that much time and effort in to make me buy in. And so without question, I, the first thing I will go up to do, and I've done this with seeing him around the rinks and stuff, is, hey, Mike, hey, just want to make sure I say thanks for giving me the opportunity way back when. Yeah, you know, you know, fifteen years later, you were like, "Yeah, this is pretty cool, yeah. special." There's another guy that uh, had a pretty big effect on you, taught you a lot. I don't know where it was in your career, but it was Paul Gillis. Talk through what Paul did with you and in, in your younger days. Yeah, Paul actually, uh, he'd played for the Quebec Nordiques. He played, uh, you know, NHL. He was a scrappy guy. You know, won faceoffs, killed penalties. You know, blocked the puck with his face type, hard nosed guy and. Um, he basically, so he, when my first coach, Mike Kelly got fired in win, my first year in Windsor, he took over after Christmas, Paul did. And, uh, he pulled me off the bus and basically said that I was playing in the OHL the way he played in the NHL. Cause it was similar roles. Right. Um, and he just said, you know, keep going, just keep your elbows down basically. Um, and I, I, he really invested in me. I mean, he, he was the guy that. You know, an hour after practice was over, we were still out working on face-offs. And I was playing center at the time. And he, he would tell me, like, he'd teach me stuff. And in the beginning of face-offs, I'd lose 10-1, 10-2 to him. And by the end of the season, he he couldn't win one off me. Um, he just taught me all his tricks of winning face-offs and succeeding. I mean, he defensive zone coverage and what to look. You know, he was the very first person to ever tell me, like, it's not what your eyes see, it's what your stick sees. Right. You know, when you're shooting. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? And he's like, well, your eyes are on this angle. Your stick is on this angle. Correct. You see, Your stick sees something different, you know. And so, you know, I just, it, he, he taught me so many little nuanced things that I couldn't believe at 17 years old. No one had ever playing taught my, you. Playing my entire career that I, I hadn't been taught. And so I just, I fed off it. The next year I came into camp and he's like, what's your goal? And I'd had... I, th I think I said it. we had, ni I had 19 points my first year, and I was like 50, and he's like, it's not enough. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going to play center with our, our two overagers, so two guys that were a year right. older. And he's like, uh, you're going to be our top line, our top power play, so 50 points isn't enough. Yeah, you really needed 80 out of here, didn't he? Yeah, and so I literally, he taught me not to be satisfied and to reach for the moon and uh, believed in me and gave me a bunch of time to, to go out and play and, and have success.
Yeah, you told me a little bit about him before the show, and I was like, God, I got to get him into this show because it's some, you know, those guys who teach you the little things or, or believe in you, you know, and obviously Keenan believed in you too. Um, so fast forward through your early days in Vancouver, just from a cultural standpoint, Vancouver is, besides Toronto, is one of the ritziest, nicest cities in Canada, and it's completely different than any other city in Canada because it's warm. It's not cold. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right? very, very similar to Seattle weather. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. People don't realize that. I was met some guys from Vancouver last summer, and, and we talked about outdoor hockey, and they're like, we don't play outdoor hockey. <laughs> I was like, you're in Canada. He goes, no, we don't. I mean, up in Whistler, yeah, but or in Kelowna, yeah, but not here. Yeah, so. so what was that culture like living up uh, uh, in Vancouver? It's just a little bit different. I mean, any Canadian city playing NHL is crazy. I yeah. Because they're so into it. It's front-page news, right? Fan is short. For a fanatic, yeah, and in, for a reason, yeah, and it's it's true, um, and I had an unbelievable eight and a half to nine years in Vancouver, yeah, um, and I was there for almost ten, uh, and it slowly started to fall apart. Like so, you know, you got some names written down there, but like Brett Hedekin. My, yeah. my first year, I played with Hedy until he was traded to Florida. I was trying to find all the Minnesota guys that you played with. In the first <laughs> year, you played Trent Klatt, Darby Hendrickson, and Brad Hedekin. I'm like, oh, there we go. You know, and there's yeah. Galagoski. There's a lot of them in there yeah. that you played well, with. Well, I have a lot of Minnesota ties because – so Hedy was a guy that basically took me under his wing and made sure I went out and ate a decent meal night before games. And, you know, because I was – just turned 20 years old i was young and he was yeah. a guy that really went out of his way to make sure that i was doing the right things to be a professional and i i have the utmost respect for him i mean he's top notch in my in my world and then the one below that uh darby so darby is a guy that uh played with a little bit but my second year brian burke made a promise to me that he would put a he would move somebody to call me up if i went down to the minors and played the way i was at camp and so when I got when I got called up, Darby Hendrickson got put on waivers. Oh no way! So that I could get called up. Yeah. So fast forward ten oh. years later, or seven years later, eight years later, I come to the Wild He's and Darby's the assistant coach. <laughs> <laughs> and so we kind of got to be. I mean, him and Darby and I have a great relationship, but it was funny because, um, yeah, Darby got, and that's what brought him to the Wild. But Darby got put on waivers so that I could get called up from. Oh, a small world. Yeah. Small world. My uh, Trent Cloud, obviously, you know, rock solid human being and uh just a beast of a man, like oh. just a, a bear. Um love him and his family to death. Uh they had events at their house when they had their uh, five twenty four or thirty kids, whatever <laughs> Um but Clatter was awesome, great team guy. And then my my one other Minnesota tie-in in Vancouver was I broke my jaw in practice one day because Lee Gorin. No way. Uh, yeah, he uh, I may have passed him the puck out front. He shot the puck and it hit me in the jaw. And did you sit because of that? Jaw. Yeah, I missed I missed a week or two. They put titanium plates as opposed to wiring me shut. Yeah. So I put the cage on. As soon as I could deal with the pain, they let me play. Take so. it. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Minnesota connections. Galagoski, we'll get we'll get to that one later uh, when we get to Pittsburgh. But it's it's a it's a it's a wild ride. You had the Shadeen twins on your team. What was it like getting two first rounders on the same team? Did they just kind of immediately take over when they got there? 
Because they're kind of first liners, right? They, Top they, six guys, right? They are, but we at the time we had West Coast Express, which was Naslin, Morrison, Bertuzzi. And yeah, those those three were dominant for a period of time, three or four years. Just you know, so they weren't primaries yet. Right? At the beginning, they yeah. were they were sec they were the second line, and I think that was somewhat intentional to protect them a little bit. Yeah, um, you know when when Danny and Hank came in, they were pudgy, underdeveloped teenagers. You know? Yeah, and super skilled. Two, Oh my god! I mean, skill beyond belief. They could sauce a puck six inches and make it land flat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Make it, make it go six inches of the air, only a foot wide, and make it land flat. I mean, they unbelievable skill level. Uh, crazy, even to be a part of C without communicating, knowing where each other are at all points. Um, they just had this telegraphic yeah. mentality that twins have. I, I guess I don't know, but just their their knowledge of playing together. Um, you know, just really, really, really high end. And then I, I actually got the benefit because I was roommates with Danny Yep. when he first came. And then Danny started to play really, really well and, you know, started to score and whatever. And so Mark Crawford, who was my the next coach behind Mike Keenan in Vancouver, he, uh, he called me in. He's like, Danny's going really good. I'm going to give you Hank now. And I was like... <laughs> You think I'm the reason why he's playing? Well, I'm only <laughs> rooming with him on the road. Like he's like, well, you've gotten Danny to get out of his shell and open up because they were big Shy. In, in, introverts. Yeah, when they first came over, and I mean, unfortunately, we had, you know, Matthias Olin and Marcus Nazem, Lars Lindgren. Like we had a few Swedes right on the team to be able to help them adapt, but. Uh, still in the locker room, super shy. The only thing that they weren't shy with that was the two-touch soccer game before games, and no one could beat them. They were I mean, unbelievable, I'm no sure. No one could beat them. Like, Danny, for fun, would keep the ball up 3,000 times. You know, like... Really? Just for fun. Like, <laughs> like I can't do it five times. <laughs> but, uh, and you also had... Luongo had a couple... He got, came over in the Florida trade, too, didn't he? So that was the next Florida trade. Yeah. So, after 2004 and uh, the altercation, you know, with Colorado and... Uh, no, sorry. that Yeah, uh, yeah that's when it was. Yep. And then Todd got suspended, and then when his suspension got released, Vancouver traded him to Florida is when we got Roberto. And um, I'd been part, teammates with Louie and World Juniors. World but, Juniors. Um, you know, to have him come in and, you know, he really solidified the goalie position at Vancouver for years, even after, yeah. even after I was gone. Um, He's kind of a uh, – he would be your typical goalie. You know what I mean? Like Fleury even well. They, they all kind of have just this little – very eccentric personalities. What was super eccentric about Roberto? Um, I, I mean, I don't, he, he, he was – he liked his routine on game day. But outside of that, I mean, I, I was always really – enamored by Louis' ability and desire to get better. Okay. Um, you know, when he first came to Vancouver, the knock on him was he was a super wide butterfly guy. So right. he, you could shoot it off his pad, and the rebound's going to come right up the middle because he's so flat. And so he worked, I think, for two years straight with Ian Clark to get his butterfly to be more in a V. So the rebound now goes out to the boards as opposed to back up the middle. I mean, things like that just – always wanting to get better. And I think that anytime you have a superstar uh, at all, that's what, that's what you're going to find. Yeah. You're going to, you, you would want, um, you just see that they're so competitive. They're not, they're never satisfied and they always want to get better. 
Before we get to the trade, uh, quick uh, highlight of winning the world championship. Um, you beat Sweden in Czechoslovakia. By now, you have a couple kids. You're a dad, and you're yeah. I'm gonna go play in the world championship. Did you bring the family with or? So Jackson was born in February, late February of '04, and two years prior, I got asked to play world championships, and I'd messed up my shoulder. I separated my shoulder in the playoffs. And Lanny McDonald, I called Lanny, and I, I just said, I mean, he, he basically said, like, if you're not healthy, don't come. You, you can't help us. Yeah, He's yeah. like, I want you here, but you, you can't help us. And you got to rewind seven years when I lost World Juniors, and I have that sore spot, and I just want the chance to go and redeem myself yeah. with, a you know, the Canadian flag on my crest. And uh, we decided that it was best if I didn't go. Um, so the next year... We lose out to Calgary. The team had already been over there for almost a month. Um, but Brennan Morrison and I got asked to play, so we went over. And my 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 stipulation to my wife was, like, our son's just born. The only way I go over there is if you come over with him. Yeah, I was going to say and that. So Reese, well, has a little bit of a beef because <laughs> she didn't get to go to Prague. <laughs> but Jackson did. Her and her sister stayed home. Uh, but Jackson got a chance. What's he, the old, he was your nine, oldest nine name? Weeks old, Gabby. Gabby, okay, all right. Yeah, yep. She was nine weeks old. Or Jackson so was Gabby nine weeks got old. stuck home too? Yeah, all Gabby right. had to stay home too. Um, it was May. School was still going on. Yeah, um, I love it. Any beef we can give Reese is yeah, that's, a good thing. You I ask like her it. how proud. Oh, I will. You ask her how proud was in 04, <laughs> she'll, uh, she'll give it to you back, I'm but sure. She was only like two or three, right? No, she, yeah, she was three. Three, yeah, yeah all right. But there was a lot of homework. To be yeah, done. a lot of she homework when yes. she was three, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this was an opportunity that I couldn't wait for. Uh, and at the time, Quenville was the coach. Yep. But he uh, he ended up getting sick over there. And so they replaced – they came and got him, and they replaced him with Babcock. Really? And so Babcock – Oh, two in. legends right yeah. there, right? So Babs came in, and uh, we ended up winning, and – uh, greatest experience. I mean, I have a picture of Jackson, nine weeks old, sitting in the in cup. In the cup, yeah. yeah. So pretty pretty cool. I mean, that was my first real experience because at World Juniors, it's three – it's literally like three um, leagues. Layers, it's yeah. It's three leagues, right? You have your Western Hockey League, your Ontario Hockey League, Quebec Major League, and then anyone that was off at school right. could come and back and play. Well, World World Championships is all NHL guys. Yeah. So all the you walk into a room with twenty two guys, and most of these guys are my enemy. Yeah. Right. All the guys I've battled all with year. Them, right. Got my head down, trying to shake their <laughs> hand, introduce myself. The coolest thing about that is, like, within twenty minutes, your all of buddies. that's gone away, and now you're battling for the same cause. And it's, I mean, it was a super cool experience for me. And, uh, I've uh, Tom Chorsey's a friend of mine, and he we did a pod with him. He talked about playing in it, and he just says it's just so huge in Europe. It's just the biggest thing ever. There's 17,000 fans. It's like it's like it, it's not the same as an NHL playoff game, but it's as close to an NHL playoff feel for when you're out there. It's it's European Stanley Cup. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And to make it even more clear, the tournament isn't their Stanley Cup. Their chance to beat Canada. Is there Stanley, is there Stanley Cup? Cup. Exactly. Or their chance to be the, the US, US would be is, even better, right? The Stanley Cup. So it's the same. Like those European teams, they're going all in. But they're missing their stars too, right? S- some of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean they're missing their stars. It's like, like well, this was but this was back before NHL guys could play at the Olympics. Right. Right. So we weren't playing at the Olympics yet. Um, yeah. Like as much as as we did 
moving forward. Yes. Where you take a big break and whatever. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's an amazing, I mean, <laughs> crazy, because you'll, you'll go there and there's literally fans I there. looked at the attendance, it's like 17,000, 19,000, 8, I mean, this and, is. And those rinks might have 14,000 seats. Yeah. Like, I've never seen, and European fans are special in that, like, they'll stand on their feet and scream and holler and blow horns yeah. for a full 60-minute game without sitting down. I like love it. It's crazy. I love it. That's uh, good stuff. It's intense. I, I'm glad I put that one on the board. I'm like, all right, I'm going to talk about that just for a second. We're going to get to the Stanley Cup. Uh, that's always some, some of the funnest stuff is just to do a little Stanley Cup cheddar. Uh, you had been traded from Vancouver to Washington. You got to play with Ovechkin or play on the same team as Ovechkin for uh, a, a little bit of a season into the playoffs. What's that like? Is It's is just such a personality and such a dominant personality, alpha male. And it's real. I mean, it's contagious. His energy is contagious, and it's real. It's not just for the cameras. It's not just there in games. It's practice. It's traveling. It's in a hotel Literally, you can hear this guy from a mile away. And it's it, it was fun at the time. I mean, he was a, just this ball of energy that was um, super contagious. You know, at the time when I got to Washington, so at the deadline, Cristobal UA, Sergey Fedorov, and myself all got traded to Washington. And George McPhee brought us in. He basically said, we're out of the playoffs. The only chance we really have to, is to win our division. So we had to catch Carolina, I think, or Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, actually, I think. And... uh we went on a really cool run. I think we went like 17-3-3 and or something to end the season, and we won our division, which got us in the playoffs. Um, we lost to Philly in overtime of Game 7 uh, at home, which was a heartbreak. But <laughs> Was Boudreaux uh, the coach? Uh, yeah, Boudreaux was the true coach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and it, but it was just a – I mean – the guys on that team, Oli Kolzig was the goalie, and Victor Kozlov was there. Semen was there, who – arguably is might be the best player I've ever played with. Really? Not the most driven. Yeah. But the most skilled and best player. Like, if all the players that I've ever played with, he's the one guy, if we played, like, keep away. You'd want him on your team. I wouldn't get the puck. <laughs> He'd just choose not to give, like, give me the puck, and I wouldn't get the puck. He's that good. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay, so... You, after that season, I don't know the contract. You can't see it. So at some point, were you a free agent? Then? So that's why I got traded from Vancouver. Because con- your contract, my, my was, contract gone, right? was up. I was going to be an unrestricted free agent. There had been some controversy. The, the, the last coaching change brought in Al Avigno, and him. he kind of had his guys from when he coached in the minors, and him and I didn't really necessarily see eye to eye. We, I respect him, and he respected me to an extent, but um, – it just wasn't the same. Your game didn't fit into his Brian Burke plan. had left. He was the GM. Dave Nonis had taken over. Mark Crawford was gone. So there was a lot of change happening over time. And no, Dave Nonis didn't want to trade me. He told me that specifically. But uh, he understood that it was best for the organization if he could get something for me. Yeah. Um, I think in Vancouver, it's down as one of the worst trades in history. Um, really? To Washington. He got Matt Pettinger in return, yeah. and uh, I think Matt ended up playing for the rest of the season or and one more, and that's it, Yeah, um, and didn't really pan out. And so, you know, my year after trading, I got a chance to join the Penguins as an unrestricted free agent. So my contract expired 
which then was with Washington because I was traded. Right. We negotiated with Washington, but the one hard part for me there was um, Alex, greatest, like, great player, competitor, really enjoyed him, played left wing. And back then, Bruce kind of gave him free reign, and which was a good thing. Yeah. But when he stayed out for two and a half minutes, it wasn't Victor Kozlov that was missing his shift. It was me. Yeah. And so it would go Victor Kozlov with my line and then back to Ovechkin. And if this one was a minute, then I'd get my shift. And so instead of playing 15 or 16 minutes a game like I was, 12. I was getting 8 to 10 minutes. And so I was just like, I don't know that I want to spend the rest of my career having to worry about Anywhere in that rotation, right? Having to worry about that, right? Yeah. So uh, Pittsburgh called during free agency, and Ray Shero at the time had said he tried to trade for me for the last three years at a Vancouver, which, you know, it wasn't just a – flash in the pants like he'd been trying to follow and wanted and so obviously they Pittsburgh had lost to Detroit in the finals that year and it was a place that I thought was bound to be successful and so definitely a place I signed I took less money and less years to join Pittsburgh a to prove myself again because I'd been you know when you get traded and whatever you just don't really know where you fit in and then uh, b because I felt like it was a huge opportunity for me. And at that point, like, literally you're thinking uh, Stanley Cup is very realistic. Where, And no offense to the, the Canuck, but Stanley Cup was never really, really that realistic. So the year... The, right? The, I mean... Well, the, in 2004, the year that the Bertuzzi suspension... Right. I mean, if Todd doesn't get suspended, I think we have a... To get to the final. Top chance. Because I think we would have beat Calgary instead of losing them in seven games. Yep. Calgary went on to play Tampa in the final. And who knows who wins in the final. But I feel like we had a good enough team then right. to, to, to to win. Uh, you know, you look back at some of the at the players that we had. I mean, we were deep in Vancouver through those years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so y- you play the full season there. Uh, Sid plays almost every game, which is... You know, he's had some injuries there. Played like 70-some out of 80, and uh, Gino had 113 points. I mean, this is a – everyone has a has – a, it's one of their best years and one of their best teams. Um, what are your remembrances of the regular season there and what you guys did that season? I mean, uh, kind of a blur a little bit looking back on it. Um, but I uh, the one main thing I remember is being in 10th position at the end of January. Right. And, and uh, new coach, right? Well, yeah. So we, Michelle Terrian was fired. They brought in Dan Balsma. And Dan basically came in and just freed us up to play. I mean, we didn't change much outside of how we break out of the out of our zone. And, uh, and he just said, you guys are super skilled. So the more we can possess the puck, the better. And so let's break out with the puck as opposed to trying to Chip shoot, shoot the puck out, um, which is how we broke out. And we went on – again, we went on a, a – a, Really big run. We went up. I think we went twenty three, two and three to end the season or something like that, and uh, we ended up in fourth. And everything was right for us. The timing, you know, Mark Andre was playing lights out, and he was solid in his game. Um, we were confident to win a game one nothing. We were confident to beat you seven six. So uh, really, we just, I mean, it just confidence had grown so high within that group. We just believed we were going to win, and you know, part of that obviously. They were a young team, and uh, 
tried to bring in some guidance, but then also, you know, the, midway through the season, we trade and get Chris Kunitz out of yeah. out of Anaheim, which he'd already won the Stanley Cup. And then at the deadline, we brought in Billy Guerin, and obviously, you know, familiar with him. He is the GM here now, uh, which is sometimes hard for me to think about, but because I see him still as a teammate, right? So well, stop right there. For a second. So <laughs> so, and I, this is my makeup. This you're giving me my mulligan right now. So. Tom Torskina did ours Wednesday night, right? And he went on and on about what a clown Bill Guerin was. Like he he goes, Tony, I'm talking to you like like um uh Hankinson, like Ben Hankinson clown. I'm like, what? That much of a clown? He goes, Yeah, that much of a clown. I go, but he's a leader. He's got this built-in born leader thing going for himself as well. So he can turn this switch from Ben Hankinson clown to complete leader as well. What are your What's your take on Billy? Yeah, I mean Billy likes to have fun. Uh, don't get me wrong. He's a he. He wants to have fun. He's a he can joke with the best of them. He's got one-liners and he's prepared in any situation to come at you. But um, Billy knows what it takes to win. He knows what it takes to have. A winning group and he knows he's really smart in in reading people um and so uh, it's only a matter of time before this organization experiences success because as billy the more time billy spends here he's going to be able to figure things out and make corrections that need to be corrected and he's not a guy that's just going to snap the whip and change for change because if he's changing, he wants to know why he's changing and how he's changing. And, uh, I, that's the strength of Billy. And, you know, he came in, he brought, he lightened up the mood. I mean, between him and Hal Gill, the two of them are jackasses in the locker room. I mean, that's <laughs> basically what they are. Um, but he was a really, Billy at the time was a really good stabilizer for Sid. Yeah. Um, because he was the one. Kunitz played with Sid did, and, and, and Billy. Bill, they both did? Yeah. And so. Oh, I but, knew that Kunitz was on that line. I forgot Billy was on the line too. S- Sid's personality back then was, I'm going to be great. I expect you to be great. And we'll all be great together. And if you made a mistake, he treated you like he would treat himself if he made a mistake. Right. And a lot of people in that scenario feel like, oh, oh I, shit. Don't, I don't know what to do. Right. Then now that creates another mistake because you second guess everything you're doing. Well, Billy came in and Billy like just tell him to be quiet. Yeah, in, that's a nice way. In, yeah, yeah. In different words, yeah, and yeah, tell yeah. him like I'll play my game, you play yours. You know, and like, we're gonna succeed and we'll get through this. You know, and so they they'd go head to head about it and they'd talk about it later. But like there would be moments where like, I mean, I can remember a game specifically where. Billy went to one end of the bench just to be away from Sid because they needed to take a break. And it was good. It was healthy. And they're still good buddies. I mean, oh, we I all are. We have, a, right? we have a group text that goes around from that, that whole team. So, uh, but it's fun. And it's, I mean, he's, that's why I say like Billy gets it. He understands that's uh, what it takes to succeed because sometimes just having parts in place isn't enough yeah. to win. Yeah, it's interesting. Any general manager, we this is a Matt Cook uh, story, but any general manager of, of the Wild is you immediately have Ryan and Zach, and it's it's a it's a weird 
bookend to the team. And it's it's a it's a great weight and it's also a heavy weight, right? You're not going there. He's waving me off right now. Don't talk about that, Tony. No, I'm just saying in general. I'm, I don't think there's a right or wrong, but it's a tough position, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I'm the, sorry to put you on the spot, but it's it's, it's no. It's, I mean, they're both it's, teammates. It's, to me. it's the elephant, right? It's like yeah, we have this thing here, and we have to work through it, right? They're they're both individually. They're both uber competitive. They both want to succeed at the highest level, and that's that's their focus. And if they never came to Minnesota, a lot of people would never have come to Minnesota. So the greatest thing the Minnesota Wild could have done was bring Zach and and Ryan, Ryan. here. Yeah. The hard part is you're on the back end of all of that, or right now or approaching yeah, yeah. the back end, and so managing that. It's going tough. forward is 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 a weird situation because new rules have been put in place after their contracts were signed, but that Minnesota still has to convene, Live by. convene to because of contracts like theirs, and not their fault, but no. contracts like theirs. And so, uh, you know, it's just a it's a weird situation. Both of them have a huge desire to be successful, and that's. I mean, that, that's Even what, today, that's what you ask for. That's what all you can ask for from your leader. Yeah, um, you know, but it just, it's it's tricky now. It, yeah, is the best way I can. It put is, it. And, I, and I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Well, it's just it's tough when you're your teammates, and it's not their fault, but you feel like you're talking about them when you're not. Not you talking, and I wasn't even mean talking about. It, it's just a yeah. reality of being a general manager. It's like, oh, what do I get myself into? All right, so let's let's get to the end of the season. Uh, it's so funny when you, when you win in, in a game seven, uh, Max Talbot is your hero. He scores both goals on the road to beat uh, the Wings. What's going through your head when this is this game is going? Because it was, I mean, li- they're literally, they're, they're pressing. It's a two-to-one game. They could tie it in the last 30 seconds. What are you thinking at this point? So, first period, I feel like they're all over us. Yeah, we're, at home, they got the crowd, we're, right? We're surviving. Second period, we kind of take over. We score, and Max was able to score, right? And so... One of them was on a two-on-one. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, slap shot over yeah. the glove side, yeah. But so we score two goals in the second period, and we're up 2 nothing, And feeling like we're you know, in a good spot. Come out for the third period, and we can't get out of our own end. Like, And so what most people don't know is midway through the second period, Sid got a really bad Charlie horse yeah, and couldn't play. So he didn't play midway through the second period on in game seven. Didn't leave the bench. Oh, really? Yeah. And so um, we had to figure it out and do it. And I mean, I you have your best puck handler sitting on the bench, or one of them, right? <laughs> the most competitive player we have is yeah. sitting on the bench. And so, you know, I think it's a just a, a, a weird time because we all just felt like it's okay. We got this. And you know, I think we all reassured him. Like, And I think we, through that whole entire year, there was a realization that, like, Sid and Gino don't necessarily need to score three goals a game for us to be successful. They just can't be at a detriment to us. Minus three. So, right? so we, we're figuring all that out, and you know, lo and behold, Max scores two goals, and it was going to be somebody. You know what I mean? And um, just, I, I, I guess the biggest thing I remember is pure exhaustion. You know, uh, I probably played more than I had most games because Sid wasn't in, and. Um, Flurry makes a huge save at the end, diving on Lidstrom, and uh, it's one of the greatest saves in I think Stanley Cup history. Yeah, right? it's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. So the timing of it, and um, really cool because they Detroit won 
in Pittsburgh the year before. Yeah. And then Pittsburgh wins in Detroit. And you, as a kid, I mean, you know, it's a lifelong dream come true because as a kid, I did grow up playing on outdoor rinks where I'm from. Uh, even though I, my little town is more south of where we are today. today. Yep, yep. So, um, which, technically, which yeah, is yeah. hard for people it to understand. It is hard to understand. Um, but, uh, you know, the be 5.30 after school and parents are all in their cars there to pick you up and you get the honk of the horn and instantly it's game seven Stanley Cup final next goal wins right right yep. that's that's the scenario yep. so you get a chance to like live that and it wasn't overtime but still game seven Stanley Cup final we're up by a goal you know and we were literally hanging on were you on the ice no on the I, bench uh, there's Who's actually on the a ice? It's like, it's, I wonder who Craig, Craig Adams, Jordan Stahl, because it was a faceoff, and yep. we, we needed it was D zone for sure. Them for faceoffs. Um, I don't know defenseman wise who was on. I know that Billy, Billy and I were like side by side. There's a video or a, a photo, celebration, a photo right? of us on the bench celebrating, and we're all like arm in arms, like watching the clock. Like, really? Yeah. So. It's yeah, pretty, pretty cool. cool. Those, yeah. I, I saw. I just relived the last couple seconds. Of it. So, <laughs> uh, just before the show, um, so Chorsky talks about his cup, and he says he sits in the locker room after, and immediately starts all these reflections started thrown through his brain of being a little kid, mom and dad, the neighbors, all the people who helped him get. He goes. He goes. Basically, my life flashed before my eyes. When I had like ten seconds sitting in the locker room before the big party started, did you have that moment there? Did eventually when when did that moment hit you that you'd won the cup and it was pretty special? So it's a little bit later for me, but uh, all of our family members, like as soon as we win, all of our family members are coming down on the ice. So you know, I sent, showed you a picture there. Yeah, it was family. great. Yeah, they're, they're all on the ice with me. Um, Getting the chills just thinking about this. Yeah, and so. Um, after we win, we, and we do our little tour, uh, with the cup, each one of us, we go back in the locker room and, and the families are there with us and there's a bunch of celebrating that happens right away, but I can remember just getting my upper gear yep. off. My yeah, skates yeah. are still on. My family's all around where I'm sitting and I'm lying on with my head on my bag, my feet on the bench and I can't, like i don't really want to get it undressed anymore. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I should be like party crushing sure, right? champagne. And yeah, I yeah, yeah. Can't move. I'm that like tired. It huh? just, it's just the finally you can let go. Yeah, you, you're not on high alert. You're not on. Yeah. Oh my god, we gotta get the puck out. We Rafalski's gotta block got a the shot puck out. at the we blue line, whatever, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's literally finally you can just breathe, and that that's the moment for me. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool stuff. So, at some point, uh, 2012 was it? You, you ended up here. 2013. 13. Yeah. You ended up here. What were you thinking when you got moved to Minnesota? Mike Yo was the coach. He was the assistant coach when we won the cup in Pittsburgh. And uh, Mike called me and just said, "Hey, listen, uh, need some help in the locker room. Uh, could really use you." So he'd already obviously experienced. The same my, thing in my, 08, right? My, my when you effects. came there, you yeah. had the effect, right? So I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So we we signed a three-year deal here and came here. And, um, you know, it, it there, there was some uh, tension 
to say the least, in, in, the, the, locker in the locker room. And so it t- took almost a full year to kind of weed through some of that stuff. And, you know, you, you're not, it's not, not, I'm not 100% responsible, but, you know, it just, where does everyone stand and how does everyone feel and what what is the role of Nino Niederreiter and Charlie Coyle, but what is the role of Zach and yeah, Ryan, Ryan and yeah. Miko? You know yep. what I mean? And so from the leadership right on down. And so we just, I mean, we just tried to weed through some of that. And I felt like by the end of the first year, we got in a really good place. And uh, the 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 hard part is, you know, we, we beat Colorado and we come up against Chicago Blackhawks. Chicago Blackhawks, yeah. You know what I mean? And I actually feel like we beat, we we, we played a better series in the first year against Chicago than we did the second year after beating St. Louis. Right. Um, and I don't know why I didn't, couldn't tell you why, cause we were a more experienced team after that point. But, uh, you know, I, we weren't that far off from beating Chicago, the, you know, in whatever the, the, the spring of 2014. Right. You, you mentioned Mike Yo's name and, and, and this is just a personal thought about him as a coach he seemed like he he had a really good grasp of the locker room uh he was fantastic with the press because he would give actual answers to questions versus the corporate mumbo jumbo he just seemed like he was the kind of guy that at least i even thought that like russo and the the press corps really liked him because they gave him actual honest answers and he had a good relationship with them and he got a longer leash by the wild than maybe a coach that maybe wasn't as well liked by the press or well by liked by the fans. What do you, what's your take on that? Mike's a real guy. I mean, uh, you know, if you talk to him, he's intense. He wears his heart on his sleeve. There's no BS with him. He's going to tell you how it is and he's going to go right in the face when he's upset. I mean, that's, that's Mike. Um, he's, gone through the education of how to handle the media and I think he's seen it multiple ways he saw it with Tarion who didn't communicate well uh with the media he saw it with Belzma who was like wanted to put his arms around the media and be their best friend yeah you know and Mike Keenan funny I go back Mike Keenan said it best uh and this has stuck with me the whole time that the media when you're winning the media can't help you yeah and when you're losing, they can't help you either. They can only hurt you. <laughs> okay, so they they can drive stakes and wedges within your locker room when you're losing, and and it, and it hurts. It's tough, and you you won't get over it because they're blaming this, they're blaming that. But when you're winning, they can't. I mean, they can't really do anything. They they write about you winning, whatever. So, you know, Mike said it best. I think both Balsma and I think Mike learned yo learned from Balsma that like you just need to be honest with them. And the more honest and the more upfront you are with them, the less they think you're trying to avoid or evade the, what they're trying to get out of yeah, you. Yeah, I, I just, I really liked him. At first, I was like, I don't know if I like this guy. And then he just would just, anytime people would ask me a question, I was like, he's giving the actual answer that, that you know, he's the re- yeah. the real answer versus some line of BS. And I, I appreciated, I think a lot of the Wild fans really appreciated it. it. was like you had access to the coach, and the coach was telling you what was going on. And if someone sucked... They sucked, and he right. said it, right? Yeah. I like that about him. Well, there's there's no harm in that. You know what I mean? There's no... Truth, right? Like, I loved Brian Burke because yeah. literally there was no... It's black or white. Like, 
He'd walk into the locker room with his polo shirt completely untucked, his tie undone, and his chest hair sticking out with a huge <laughs> chew in his mouth. And he'd say, you were horseshit last night. What are you going to do about it? Well, I'll be better tomorrow. Yeah, you will, or you won't be in the line. Like, or he'd also come in and say, hey, great game last night. Good job. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't like every day, like, oh, hey, you know, what's new today? What's whatever? Like, he just didn't function like that. And I loved it because you always knew where you stood. There's, yeah. you, you're, you're never, there's never this false sense of security. So now we're going to fast forward to what you're doing today. And it's interesting you talk about Brian Burke and, you know, you're tra- training and teaching kids. Really, you're teaching kids how to get better at certain body movements, which will then ultimately physically get them better at hockey. But there's more to it than that. Walk through your company and what you're doing on a daily basis. Kind of started a little tiny little pod of something, and it's kind of grown. Yeah, so four years ago, four, maybe five, five years ago now, I don't even know. Uh, four years ago, I guess. I started in my basement. You know, uh, Tom Nevers brought his oldest son, Mason, and Peter Colby, uh, Mason Reiners, Max Stedman came and trained in my basement. And it was one of those things like, you know, they wanted to get, they wanted to begin training. They didn't really know. I wanted to potentially get involved at training, but didn't really know. And so it was, we both kind of just, the group and myself were kind of kind of learned as you try, go, right? trying each other out. And it was something I really It was enjoyed. at your house too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, at our house. And so, you know, the craziness of training happened and, you know, the, the, the typical complaining of this hurts or that hurts and this is sore after and well that's completely normal you've never used that muscle and that's a number one skating muscle and so that happens over the course of the summer it gets to the point where these guys have a shake and sleep in my basement and watch movies all afternoon and so these are all buddies of reese right kind of classmates at least yeah classmates i mean i wouldn't say buddies i mean i think she's would rather just fly by and not say anything <laughs> at this at point, that point anyway, yeah they're, they're for freshmen, sure right? so, yeah dad why are you bringing those creepy boys to our house right but um you know we, we they all have a really good year they all put on weight move faster get better and so the next year there's like 13 or 14 of them that want to train and i was like my house is gonna get trashed so another friend of mine bill doll uh, yep. ran hat trick. He's like, come, we got a gym upstairs. There's a guy that trains up there, but you know, I don't know how much, how busy he is or how much he uses it. So I went and, uh, I met Zach. And so my business partner, Zach Rourke, we started talking about concepts of training and what we believe training to be. And they aligned perfectly. Um, and so from that, that summer we started what was called STP 24. Yep. But we changed the name of it because we didn't want high school STPs to feel like we were competing with them. Right. So now it's called. And it's never the intent, right? No. In fact, you know, we, we segment our training into spring, summer, fall, and the summer is June and July so that athletes can go back and do their STP and skate, skate with their high school program so that it can never be held against them that they didn't do it. Um, But we're now called perfect world hockey training. Our website's perfectworldhockey.com. And we, that's just a great way to learn about you and to get in touch with you, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll put that link on, under your podcast on our yeah, site. Yeah, I mean, here. right now I think we have 82 or 85 high school athletes, um, and we have 18 or 20 college kids and a few pros as well. And um, it's just something we we believe in, and we haven't marketed it at all. It's all been word of mouth, and we have 
a large g- girl hockey player program now and boys and something we just really believe will make a difference. And it's all kind of grown organically, right? Completely. And uh, we don't have a squat rack in our gym. We don't have a bench press. We don't care how much you can lift in the gym because it's not about that. We train specifically for hockey. It's all stride-based. Our slogan is... I was going to say, it's glute, culture, Yeah, but there's a cult in the middle of culture. What? Yeah. Tell us what that's all about. It's more just like every one of our kids, when they actually learn how to use their glute, they truly get to extension and they have an aha moment. And then after, they they train and they move differently once they get that learning how to fire your glute. And so... Uh, glute is such a nice word compared to butt or ass, <laughs> isn't it? It is, yes. It wouldn't... The word was a glute-ass-er. It no, look as for well. sure. Like, glute culture is this. Talk about that. I mean, it's such a... You know, if you're just tuning in now, like the the use of the butt or ass is such an important part, A for drive and B for positioning and winning puck battles. It's so such a big part of it. So it's 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 the only to get to triple extension, which is dorsiflexion, knee, and hip. You have to use your your glute. You have to use glute med, glute max to get there. And most athletes, when we first get them, they don't even know how to use that muscle. And the problem with youth hockey players is 10,000 hours they're going to be a professional hockey player. Right. The problem and the problem with that is that is true for most professional hockey players, but they didn't do it before they were 13 years old. Right. Okay. So they didn't put 10,000 hours in before they were 13 because it doesn't work that way. Um and that's the misunderstanding. But what it is is once they once they learn the number one skating muscle is your glute. And you get to extension behind you through your glute, not through your quad. And most kids use their quads. They're quad dominant and, and they're, you know, and so they don't they don't ever get truly get to extension so they're not maximizing their stride or their speed because of that. Now, did you do some coaching at Orno when Parrish was there? I did, yeah, for a year and a half, two years. How was that for you to be on the bench? It was right after I retired, so it was a, it was a good distraction at the time. Um the problem with that was I was still uber competitive. And so <laughs> having a high school kid tell me that, like, after making a mistake, hey, coach, I, I don't really care because I'm not going to play hockey after high after, school. Yes. That didn't really sit well. So I realized quickly that it wasn't something that was for me, at least at that level. So I've known Peter Colby, uh, my son. Again, everything comes full circle. Played uh, his off-season hockey with Peter. And, and Kevin Delaney, oddly enough, those two and Jake played together for a few seasons. Uh, where were you when he did the dirty deed? Were you at the XL Center when he when he scores the game winning goal and skates across the ice and does the heart and does the whole deal? Where, had, where were you when this all went down? I had to be because I trained all those kids, you know. So, so you were there. We were invested. Yeah. Were you? Did it warm your heart to see all this go down? Absolutely. I mean. It's the Max Talbot of the Adina, Adina team, you know, because yeah. I think if you asked Peter or his dad, like other guys are getting more opportunity than him and they're, you know, Peter's just as good or better. And, you know, the frustration level that comes with not being recruited the same as some of the other kids in Edina and realistically, like, you know, HP program or whatever, they, they can only take so many from Edina. I yeah. Mean, I'm sure some of those coaches want 80%, but they can't physically do that. So there's kids that get left out, and it's not necessarily right. It's not because they're a lesser of a player. It's just 
zip code. The politics of hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, or the numbers of hockey. And so, to see Peter succeed at a high level when it counted the most is reward was super rewarding for us because we had trained him, but also super rewarding for us to see for his family uh, to, to reach in that success. And, you know, he's gone on and now playing hockey at college. So. Yeah, 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 it's pretty cool. Uh, nice kid. Um, did I leave anything out? You got your little biography here. We, we started back in Sterling, <laughs> Ontario. We got to Vancouver, Windsor. Uh, eventually, we, we, and we even ripped on Reese a little bit. I think we've completed everything. What did I, did I miss anything else? No, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know, I just being a guy that's been through it and uh, would never been able to get through it without my wife. You know I mean? While you're traveling on the road, and this is definitely not me complaining about my job because I'm one of the few that got to do something that I absolutely dreamed to do my entire life and get paid for it. Um, that being said, if she wasn't at home, you know, taking care of everything while I was on the road, uh, things probably wouldn't have been the same. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of recognition to pro athletes gets missed that there's someone behind the scenes that's doing all the work that doesn't really ever get recognized. And so maybe this is my little one opportunity to be able to say thank you to my wife for always being there and supporting me. Yeah, it's a pretty special woman. I uh, got a great family. Uh, you told me one story about you being whatever in Tampa or something, and your son Jackson got played his first baseball game. And what did he do? He my wife sent me a text that said your son just rounded home for first. <laughs> Granted, it was his first ever baseball game, but um, he didn't was... understand to stop at home, did he? No, the. Third base coach told him to keep going, so he just kept going. You go round and round and round. And, and now, Jackson, oddly enough, both of your children not, uh, ever played hockey, but he's a heck of a baseball player. Is that, what, what year is he? He's a 2022, so he'll be a junior next year in high so school. So same age as Hadley, my daughter. Okay, yeah. so, uh, well, big trouble coming for the uh, late conference baseball, if you ever could play some baseball, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, huge shout-out to you, Matt. I appreciate you coming in and spending some time telling your story. He's got his Penguins hockey t-shirt on here he's just total flex aren't well, you I, I came from training so and it, it it is 11 years to the day that i got a chance to raise the stanley cup so today with all my college athletes that we train i wore this t-shirt around so 11 years to the day you won the stanley cup and we got to tell some stories about it i appreciate you coming in and spending some time with you as part of today's show matt will get a gift from the minnesota sent to him thanks to the minnesotan again for their sponsorship of today's show make sure to stop in and check them out or jump online if you buy something from them use the code tradition for free shipping for all yhh listeners thanks for tuning in hope to see you around the rink soon